Welcome to Season 7 of Fried, the Burnout Podcast. Fried exists to help you remove the layer of shame, blame, guilt, or judgment that is standing in the way of your burnout recovery. We do this by helping you to feel seen, heard, and validated. With a mix of shorter solo episodes and longer deep dives with guests, each episode offers a burnout recovery step that you can take to move along the burnout recovery journey. To help that journey further, you are more than invited to join Fried's Facebook group for support and or book a call to get started with burnout coaching with a Fried guide. If you are an event planner or a company leader and you'd like Kate to come present for you, please reach out at info at katedonovan.com. As a keynote speaker, coach, podcaster, and author, all of my work is aligned under the mission to hashtag end burnout culture. I can't wait to hear what step forward you'll make thanks to this week's episode. Hello, Fried Fam! I have an episode for you today that is going to give you very concrete skills that each and every one of you actually need. I met Heather in person for the first time last December when we did a mastermind day together, and I kind of fell in love. And I kind of sat across the table from her all day thinking, like, how do I become friends with this person? (laughs) And since that time, we are building a relationship that I'm very excited about. And, And when you, what I want for you today, all of you, please, like, put a hand on your heart for a moment. What I want for you today is to understand that the techniques that Heather is going to share are applicable to you and your life, no matter the circumstance. There is not a lot of things that you can say that about. This is one of those things. So Heather Hansen is a best-selling author, trainer, and keynote speaker. She was a trial attorney for 20 years, and now she combines her experience in the courtroom with her psych degree, her mediation training, and her time as a TV anchor, I mean, come on, to help audiences across the world build belief and win. We're going to start as we always start with Heather's burnout story, and then we're going to get into her skill set that you're just all going to die for. Heather, welcome to the show. Kate, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I love the show and I love what you do. I'm just thrilled. I've been waiting to have this conversation. I don't know what took me so long. We're going to start with your burnout story as we always do. So I'm going to leave some space for that and then we'll jump off the deep end. All right. It's funny because I didn't know that I was burnt out. I wish I had had you back then. And it wasn't that long ago either. It was um, probably around 10 years ago. And I was trying cases. And I, I defended doctors in medical malpractice cases, and I took it very, very seriously. I took the doctors and their needs and their feelings very, very seriously. And I had a case which involved a young female ER physician. And there are studies that show that we feel more empathy with people that we see ourselves in. Mm. And I definitely saw myself in her. And so I was very invested. And we picked juries on Fridays and then we start on Mondays. And the Friday that we picked a jury, she wasn't in town yet. So I called her to tell her what the jury makeup was. And she said she had just left a meeting with her boss. And he told her that if we lost the case, she was going to get fired. And I could immediately, within seconds, feel my lips start to swell up. And by the time that I got home, I was walking home from City Hall. It was quick. My lips had swollen up so much that they were touching my nose. And <gasps> I had to go to the emergency room because I was having an allergic reaction to my own hormones. It wasn't the first time that it happened, but it was the worst time it had happened. I'd never had to go to the emergency room before. And so I spent the night. I was there overnight. It was a Friday night, um, hooked up to steroids and Benadryl IVs to, as a response to my empathy and my stress. And then the next morning, I went to an emergency room physician's house to prepare him as my expert for the trial. And um, and even then, Kate, it wasn't like that was the moment when I was like, okay, I'm done. It was probably a few months after that, I was trying another case. And I was going to be back to back with like six cases. And I was sobbing in my car on the phone with my best friend. And I just kept saying, I need help. I need help. And she kept saying, what do you... What do you need? And I couldn't put it into words, but I knew after that 
it was probably the lowest I've ever been that I needed to do something. And what I decided to do was to start advocating for myself the way that I advocated for my clients in the courtroom, not just with the semantics and the tools that we'll talk about, but also with the passion and the love and the loyalty and the care and the, and the compassion. And that's sort of how I got out of that dark place. I want everybody to sort of rewind that in their brains for a second and listen to the fact that Heather just told us that she treated herself as well as she was treating her clients with love, with loyalty, with compassion. Your mind should already be like, whoa, that should have already happened. And she alluded really nicely to our our segue today. I think it, it's important to hone in on one thing before we move on. And that one thing is allergic reactions that don't seem to have any external reason. It's not poison ivy. It's not your, you know, there's not, you didn't eat something and take something in from the external world that caused it. Very, very often related to stress. You are not the first person that has come on the podcast that said, I was covered in hives head to toe. I had hives on my chest. I was breaking out in hives twice a week. For you, you're saying it was your lips and this is your your biggest tool in your job, right? You were a mouthpiece for other people trying to protect them. So I, if you are out there having some sort of weird rashes and your skin is reacting and you can't figure out what's going on, it literally might be stress. So I'm just going to throw that out there because we've heard it so many times. People ask me about burnout symptoms all the time. And I'm like, it could be, it's so hard to answer the question because it could be anything. Yeah. But this is one that that tends to repeat a lot that I don't see often in people's posts and in and in, in other things. So, but what we're here to talk about today is self-advocacy. To start, what does that even mean? So the definition of advocate that's in the dictionary is to publicly support something. So if we were to use that definition, it's to publicly support yourself. I use different definitions. I talk about asking for what you want in a way that makes you likely to get it because you can ask for what you want all day, but if you're not asking effectively, you're not going to get the thing. It's also persuading. It's changing minds and changing hearts. It's changing perspectives, but ultimately it is publicly supporting yourself. I feel like I have to underline things. I'm not even writing things down, but I need a highlighter for this conversation. And I've highlighted in my brain so many of your videos that I've watched over the past six or seven months. And and it just it keeps coming back to these points, one of which you just said, which was the ability to ask for something and increase your likelihood of actually getting it. We've talked about asking for help on the podcast before, but it's something that we need to repeat and repeat and repeat. There's just recently, actually, in the Facebook group, somebody said, I asked all these people for help and nobody helped me. And I thought, uh, I need Heather. <laughs> <laughs> so when you say that, what what do you think are the elements that allow this shift from asking, just plain out asking, to asking and being more likely to get it? Of course, we don't always get what we ask for, but being more likely to get it. What's the what's the gap between those two things? Well, it, I see with my clients, it falls into two camps. Yeah. So I talk about three steps to it, Kate. You need to know what you want. You need to ask for it out loud and with delight. And you need to master the ask. I have a group of clients that either say they don't know what they want. They often do, but they're afraid to really own it. Mm. or they're not asking out loud and with delight. Mm. And then there's another group that says, I like the person in your Facebook group, I ask all the time, I ask all the people, and I don't get it. Those two groups face different challenges. Mm. The first group, it's usually an inner challenge. They don't have the confidence or the belief in themselves. What I call their inner jury isn't persuaded. Mm -hmm. And so that's one thing, set of, set of tools we need to do. The other group, it's that they're not asking, they're not mastering the art of the ask. They're not asking in a way that really resonates with their outer jury, and I put that in quotes, of clients, customers, friends, family, whoever it is that they're asking. Their boss for time off, et cetera. Yeah. So 
this is one of my favorite things that you teach. You said the inner jury. How do we get the inner jury on board to say, first of all, I can admit to what I want. Let's just start there. Let's not even go past that. How do I first get to the point where I can admit what I even want or find out? Because often when you're burnt out, you don't even know what it is. Well, that's right. And first, I want to be clear. When I say inner jury, people think your jury is there to judge. Mm. And so they often think it's that criticizing part of themselves. That is not your inner jury. That is a negative attorney in your head that's, that's making the case for your limitations, your doubts, your fears, and all of that. You've got to counter it with a positive attorney making the case for your potential and your purpose and your ideas and your future and your strengths. And your inner jury is just listening and choosing, just like the jury in the courtroom listens to two sides and chooses who they believe. So your inner jury is listening and choosing. And if you're telling yourself, I don't know what I want, I can't have what I want, it's too late, I'm too old, I'm too unhealthy, I'm not good enough, then that's the only voice your inner jury is hearing. And then therefore your inner jury doesn't even have a choice. So you've got to give your inner jury a different story. And when you tell yourself, I don't know what I want, you're never going to get it, whatever it may be. And so what we do with my clients is we start exploring what might you want? What feels good? What do you like? What do you enjoy? And I think one of the biggest things is understanding that you are not going to land on the perfect thing. You know, when I, when I started to break away from being a lawyer, I started with doing television and I thought that was what I wanted and I loved it. And then I realized it wasn't exactly what I wanted, but I took another shift and I started writing books and then I took another. And so it is moving towards the things that feel good, that will get you to your ultimate goal of, and I'm putting this in quotes, what you want, because what you want changes and it's supposed to change. So it's just moving towards what feels good and being willing to ask, advocate for the things that support what feels good to figure out the next best thing. This is such a hard thing for especially the perfectionists in the room that are like move towards something and not know exactly how it's going to turn out. And at the same time, a lot of us ended up in burnout because we moved towards something that we quote unquote knew we wanted, showed up there realized it wasn't as good as we thought it was going to be. And instead of just saying, oh, this is just the next part of the journey that I'm on and experiencing life, we say, I got it wrong. Now I have to stay here because I paid for my education. I've invested in this. I'm So then we're convincing that inner jury that we have to put up with this because this is what I chose. That's, I see that all the time. Mm. And it's it's part of this idea that I'm not allowed to want more. You're, you can get to where you thought you wanted to be and still want more. And the truth is, if you're not growing, you're dying. And so you're supposed to, we're meant to be wanting more. And so for those of us who got to where we thought we wanted to be, and then it wasn't the right place for us anymore, it might have been for a while, and we burnt out there, that's okay. It just means that you are meant for more and something else. And so you've got to keep going towards those things, knowing that none of them are going to be forever. Permission granted to move in the direction that feels good without knowing the ultimate outcome. I think one of the things that trips people up here, especially in the world of burnout, is you get caught in this place of like, when should I quit and when should I grit? Like, am I leaving this job or am I keeping this job? And if I'm leaving this job and I don't know where I'm going and I don't know how I'm going to make money and I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills, I can't. And then we get stuck in this conversation of like, well, I have to stay here because I don't have, I don't know exactly what I'm going to go do next. Therefore, I can't take any steps at all. And I have to stay here because I need the money to pay my bills. <laughs> yeah. No, I get it. And I'm I'm sitting here. I like this quit or grit. And I we have to come up with another word that rhymes, but that allows for just change. So rather quit, grit or pivot? Pivot. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna think about it, but yeah. pivot might be the thing, but it's not even you can advocate for changes at your work that may actually 
make work bearable or fun again. So you can stay, you can grit and still advocate for the things that you need to reduce the burnout, to reduce the circumstances that are allowing you to get into that place of burnout. And so you can do that. You can also do what I did. You know, they say leap in the net will appear. My move from being a lawyer to being a coach and doing this work and teaching and keynote speaking and so forth was not a leap. It was more of a creep. I was like, I did it slow. You know, I I, I was side hustling for a little while, which you might think would add to burnout. But I, I was so excited about it. I had so much passion about it that it actually led me to get healthier mm. as I was doing the work. So there's ways to make changes, either yourself on a side hustle type of situation or within the job or both. That's going to make you feel healthier and allow you to sort of take a deep breath and take the next step. So making the changes in your job brings us back to the how do you ask in a way that is more likely to get a response? Right. So we'll get to the master of the ask. The only thing I want to make sure we talk about is that middle step of asking out loud and with delight. Oh, please. Because you talked a lot about resentment and that is something that I know really well, right? I have, I have been resentful. I know what resentment feels like. I love that you talk about it being your superpower and that it teaches you so much. It does. If you are asking with resentment, you are very unlikely to get the things that you want, right? If you're asking and you're mad, which is, this is me, this was me. I was mad that my hints weren't being followed, my implications and my inferences and all of these things, or me acting the way that I wanted other people to act and sort of doing that whole give and you shall receive this Catholic girl, you know, grow up and what you give, you shall receive. And then when you don't, you're so mad that you're not asking with delight, you're asking with anger, frustration, irritation, disgust, and Mm -hmm. that is never going to work. So it's really important before we get to mastering the art of the ask, to make sure that you are in a place where you can ask with delight and excitement and anticipation and confidence and belief. And those again, go back to that inner jury, persuading yourself Mm. of the possibility of all of that. One of the things that you talk about a lot that I talk about in the same, same, but different way is you say gathering evidence. I say gather data, right? I'm a research scientist. This is that's where my brain goes. And you're a trial attorney. That's where your brain goes. But it's the same basic process. So one of the things that you talk about that I've heard you say when it comes to uh, convincing your inner jury to get on board with being excited about making this ask Mm -hmm. is collecting evidence. When you say collecting evidence for your jury, what exactly do you mean? So when I, when a new client comes to work with me, I send them a beautiful journal that has their name on the front and yours would say Kate's evidence journal. And I ask them every day to write down three pieces of evidence of their strength, their talents, their experience, their superpowers. But it's not enough to say, um, Today, I figured out something on Zoom that I was never able to figure out before. Or today, I gave a talk that was well-received. It's not enough. You've got to say, and this is evidence of, and the positive thing that it can prove. So today, I figured out something on Zoom, and this is evidence of my ability to figure things out. It's evidence of my ability to be patient when things go wrong with technology. It's evidence of my ability to do technology, use new technologies. And so each of those things can be evidence of a lot of things, but we want it to be evidence of the things we want to prove. You know, in the courtroom, both sides have the same evidence and both sides use the same evidence to prove different things. So you need to decide what story do you want to support and how are the things that happen to you in a day How can they be evidence of the things that support that story? So I really encourage people to start looking for evidence. It's everywhere. And using it to support the story that they want to tell their inner jury. And the key factor is not just writing it out, but adding the, and this this is evidence of. Yep. Yeah. Because to your point about data, there's data everywhere, right? And so what is the data evidence of? What can it be evidence of? You know, 
You yes. can even, if you're not comfortable saying this is evidence of, you can use could be. Those are two of my favorite words. This could be evidence of my resilience. This could be evidence of my charisma. Three people came to my webinar. This could be evidence of my charisma, of the fact that people like what I have to say, you know, and you just use it. You look for it. I, um, with a lot of moms, I've worked with a lot of moms who are returning to the workforce and they say, well, I don't have any evidence that I would be good at this job. And we go through, you broke up a fight between your children this afternoon. Conflict resolution. Exactly. You um, handled the family's books. It could be evidence of your ability to work with numbers and handle Excel spreadsheets. I mean, there's so many ways. You have to get creative with evidence. It's not this dry stuff. It's mm. stuff that you sort of mold like clay. I love this point of both the positive and the negative attorney have the same evidence. It's about the twist that they're using on that evidence to for, to share it with the jury. That's right. How are you twisting it? And we're so accustomed, especially those of us that burn out, we have this tendency to twist all of the things to say, this is how I might be judged. This is how I can protect myself from being judged. If I can just notice all the things that I do wrong all the time, then maybe I can protect myself from the things people will say, the things that might happen, the et cetera. So we're so accustomed to feeding this side. Yeah. It's so, I was a defense attorney, right? Yeah. It was my job to look for problems and defend against them. Yeah. And so it's exactly what you said. Like I, it's not that I was, I had to be right. I just couldn't be wrong. Right. Because if we lost a case, it was always to me, it was my fault, you know, and looking for someone to blame instead of just recognizing that things happen, you know, it, it, stuff happens, losses happen. And sometimes no one's to blame. Sometimes everyone is to blame and looking for someone to blame rather than looking for the lesson in it or just the fate of it or where we're going to go next doesn't serve. But yes, I think that those of us who are prone to burnout or who have burnt out do spend a lot of time looking for what we've done wrong mm -hmm. and trying to defend against that. And it takes up so much of our energy that we don't have a lot of energy to look for what's right or to ask for what would support what's right. But I, I this idea of searching for the evidence that would support the direction that we're trying to go. So I'm not even going to say the things that we want, but the direction that we are aiming to go is an exciting thought to me. Like I want a, I want a new journal right now just for that purpose. Like, yeah. So right now for, for me, just as an example for everybody out there, like I've been building a speaking career for three years. This is the first year that I could probably only speak and still pay my bills, which is fabulous. Like it's finally, it's finally like, getting there. But if I had been collecting evidence this whole time of the fact that I was a respected keynote speaker, I would probably feel more confident going into sales conversations than I have in the past couple. Because there's been plenty. Uh, there's so much evidence. So much evidence. So much evidence. So many of my coaching calls are me honestly saying to my clients, if I was given the choice as an attorney to take the case that you are a respected keynote speaker on the rise or the case that you are never going to make it as a keynote speaker, it's a no brainer. I want to take the case that you are a respected keynote speaker on the rise. I see evidence everywhere of that. So if you want to take the other side, bring it on. Let's have this fight. <laughs> but you may be better served by joining me on the side that's going to win. Right. Right. That's just, that's, I wanted to have an example out there so that it becomes really clear. Like just, I want everybody to think about how much more powerful it might be for me in rooms when I'm talking with people about working for them in this capacity. If I had a notebook from the past 18 months of evidence before I went into that room, right? that's a completely different energy. So this is where the delight comes from. Yeah. This is where the joy comes from. This is where the enthusiasm comes from. And it's not, like you said before, it's not hinting. You guys already know how I feel about hinting, right? It's not hinting. 
It's not inferring. It's not, like you said, acting in the way that you want other people to act, thinking that they'll observe you long enough and respond in kind. It never works. No. <laughs> right? It's none of those things. It's collecting the evidence to that goes in the direction of the of the direction that you're looking toward and allowing it to delight you. That's right. That's right. And being playful about it. Yeah. It's so fun. Yeah. And getting fun. creative about what it means. Cause you, like you said, like the evidence, everybody has the same evidence. This, I keep coming back to this part because I never thought about it that way. Both sides have the same evidence. Pride fam, I tell you in nearly every episode that step one of your burnout recovery is blood work. And I know that a lot of you avoid it because it's a pain and because your doctor has told you that everything is quote unquote fine. And they refuse to test all the things that you think you need. What if I told you that you could test what you want, when you want, from your home with just a couple of drops of blood? Cyfox Health allows you to do just that. You can buy tests as one-offs or join a membership. Either way, you can test and track your results to help you make decisions about your burnout recovery journey. Get 10% off any membership, subscription, or one-time test kit right now. Go to cyfoxhealth.com forward slash fried for your discount. That's S-I-P-H-O-X health.com forward slash fried. Just how you, it's, I, I gave a talk this morning to a group of medical residents. I create a curriculum for them to teach them to advocate for themselves and their treatment plans. And I was telling them about lawsuits and how it really is just theater. Yeah. You know, both sides just create a story with the evidence they have. And so you have to do the same for your inner jury, create a story with the evidence you have. Instead, we spend so much time and energy creating the negative story. Yeah. At least, at the very least, give the positive story equal time. At least equal time. Yeah. I love it. All right. So now we're moving on to. So now we're talking about how do you actually get it? Now you're good on the inside. You're asking with delight. You feel confident. You are grounded in your value. You've got your evidence journal. Now it's time to get the other people to hopefully give you what you want. And there I talk about the three C's of an advocate, which are credibility, curiosity, and compassion. And so we'll start with compassion. You need to, this is a need to, see your ask from the other person's perspective. So if you need, for example, um, to be able That's to work from home yeah, some days, yeah. right? It is not, you don't go in and say, I am stressed and I have a lot of family issues and I am tired of my commute and I am frustrated that other friends of mine get to work from home because the person on the other side doesn't care that much about those things, unfortunately. Yeah. So what you need to do is look and say, what do they care about? I am more productive when I work from home. Without the commute, I can work those hours and be available for early morning calls and, and, and later in the day calls. You know, you need to know your jury, and I'm going to put that in quotes, so that you can speak to their wants, their needs, their dreams. And my, my definition of compassion is seeing things from another person's perspective and then speaking to that perspective. Mm -hmm. But it's imperative that you know what they want, what's important to them. And then speak to that and not necessarily what's important to you. This is such a, this is such a big thing because there's such a, there's so many nuances in the world of burnout. And there's so many of us that spend all of our time thinking about what the other person wants that we end up in a place where we make a lot of assumptions that might actually be wrong because we're so accustomed to hyper vigilantly 
searching our environments for clues for what people might want or need so that they'll still love us, right? So we've been like searching for these things that other people need for so long that using that skill in a more positive way, I feel like I'm stuck on this a little bit. Like, It needs to sound good for them, clearly, because of course they don't care. Right. Go ahead. I I think you're struggling with the same thing that I struggled with, which yeah. is being so tuned into other people's needs that we think we know them. Yeah. And that's why curiosity is another one of the seeds. Okay. You've got to ask. Yeah. You've got to ask. You've got to ask either ask the person or ask their colleagues or ask other people like them. Because the truth is, and I actually just got coached on this because, um, so I'm starting a membership. And one of the things people tell you to do is email your email list. I hate to receive emails, not hate, and you know, but I don't want to receive an email from a marketer or someone who's trying to right. get me to join them every day. Yeah, That's me. And so I assume that everyone feels that way because, and I, I don't want to, you know, again, I'm, I'm very tuned into their needs. I don't want to make them unhappy. I don't want to hurt them. I don't want them to not like me. And so it's, I'm not going to send mine every day. But the truth is there are a lot of people who don't read all of their emails like I do and don't go through their email list every day like I do. And they actually welcome the reminders. And so it's not enough to say, how do I want to be treated? It's how do they want to be treated? And the best way to find that, I, Adam Grant once said something like, the fastest way to piss somebody off is to assume that you know what they, how they see the world or what they need. Mm. And so the compassion piece is, yes, seeing it from their perspective. The curiosity piece is asking them what their perspective is. Or mm. if you're not comfortable with that, asking someone in a similar position or just asking people so that you can recognize that your perspective isn't the only perspective. Yeah. And this is a hard thing. Um, and I, I love this so much and it's something that I recommend quite often and people that those of us that burn out, I've said that a lot on this show today. There's a lot of tuning in, like you're saying to other people, and we get caught up in this idea that we're always right. And I can't tell you guys how often I have been wrong. I was reminded of this recently. I was at a series of conferences and I finished sentences for three people in the same day. And all three finishes that I gave were not what the people were going to say. And then I came back and I was like, I have to unwind that again out of my brain because I used to do that with patients and I'd be right probably 60 to 70% of the time. So I just kind of went with it. But over time, I realized that I'm actually wrong a lot. And it's leaving me in a place where I'm not listening to people because I'm already deciding who they are, what they think, what they say, et cetera. And then we had a, a one of our group coaching calls and somebody said, well, and I met this person once and I already knew like how it was going to go. I'm super intuitive. And I was like, well, you might be projecting a little bit. Yeah. Right? You might be throwing stuff at them that doesn't belong to them at all because when you are so intuitive and you use that skill so often, you lose that curiosity. Yeah. It's the loss of curiosity is a loss for you because it also mm -hmm. leads to a loss in delight, right? You get less curious about yourself as well. You don't want to be surprised by new information. But also, you know, the story that I shared in my TEDx that speaks to this issue is I had a friend who worked at a girls' school and they wanted to do a service project. And they decided that the girls decided, they got to make the decision. They wanted to knit scarves for the homeless people in their, in their community. So they picked out their their yarn and they learned how to knit so that it wouldn't get potholders. They wanted to get scarves and they knit these beautiful scarves and took them down to the shelter. And at the shelter, the man at the shelter, you know, ooed and odd and said that they were beautiful. But then when the girls walked away, he said to my friend, these are beautiful, but they won't wear them. And my friend was like, what, why? And it turns out that homeless people don't wear scarves for the most part, because it's a weapon. They can yeah. be 
strangled. And so if the, the, the girls and even my friend, the teacher, were thinking of the way that those homeless people felt and thinking that they knew what the homeless people needed, and but they were wrong. And if they had just asked the question with curiosity, that whole issue, the wasted time and the energy and the love, wasted love, would have gone unwasted. So don't go around assuming what other people need. And also don't go around hinting and inferring, waiting for other people to assume what you need. Yes. Yes. So compassion, curiosity. Credibility is the most important one because, Mm -hmm. you know, I always say in the courtroom, if people don't believe me, I can't win. You know, if my jury doesn't think they can think that I'm smart, prepared, um, cute, funny, any of the things. But if they don't believe me, I can't win. And the same is true for your outer jury. So, for example, I have a friend who is suffering from burnout and she wants to leave. And she's ready to say, if you don't give me a certain thing that she needs, I will go. And I said to her, I think that that's great. You just need to be willing to actually go if you're going to say it. Because if you don't, you're going to lose credibility and you can't get that back. You need people to believe you when you make a promise, you will keep it. When you set an expectation, you'll meet it. You need them to believe in you that you have the capability to do the thing you say you're going to do. And they need to believe that you can help them. And with those three together, you become very credible. And when you're credible, you get many more yeses to the questions that you ask. And bigger yeses. This happened to me recently. I was talking to someone. They told me their budget for a virtual event, which was 10% of my normal fee for a virtual event. And I said, you know, we probably should have talked about that at the beginning. And I understand who you're paying. You're not paying keynote speakers to come in. You've been paying psychologists who happen to give, that's a training. It's not the same experience. It's not the same thing. I said, and you know, so I, I'm sorry. She called me a week later and offered my full fee. A full fee that was not available, that didn't exist, that I didn't even quite ask for. I just said, this is the fee. And I had built that credibility with her through our conversation And when we finished, she went off on her own and found the money that didn't exist. So some things that you think are not available to you at all, you become credible enough and suddenly doors open. That's right. That's right. Especially if people believe that your ask is going to help them, you know, that believe you can help them. So if you can say, listen, if I get a little, get my resources rebuilt, get my battery refilled, if I'm able to do, you know, get a little bit of time off or work from home or work from home a few days a week or come in late, whatever it is that you want. Yeah. If you, they believe that you will help them, that ultimately you're going to be more of service to the business, to the company, to the relationship, to the clients. They're far more likely to give you the thing, but you have to show them. You can't just say, this is going to be helpful to you. You've got to show them in terms that they actually care about. Yeah. So somebody, uh, one of the things that people have a hard time prepping the conversation for is FMLA leave, or if that's a United States thing, or just like medical leave in the rest of the world. And in some places, this is a little bit easier. So the Netherlands has a burnout policy. If you're burnt out, you get a certain amount of days off. Done. Right. The U.S. is like, excuse me? Right. Right. So if somebody is trying for FMLA leave, what might that first first feel like? They have to have that feeling. And then what might it sound like? Of course, it will be different for every person because the evidence that they gather is different. And the thing that the outer jury needs is a little bit different. But what might it look like? Yeah, I mean, first, you need to get very grounded in why you need it how it's going to serve you and and really have your inner jury feeling very confident that this is the right thing for you and then collect that evidence of how it's going to serve your company. And so I, let's assume that you're going to speak to the head of HR, know that person, how do they best receive requests, right? Are they better in the morning? Are you better approaching them on a Friday? You know, really know your jury. Know that, you know, if they don't have a lot of time, that you're going to make it short and sweet. Are they someone who has an open door policy or do you want to schedule a meeting? I know that a lot of CEOs, research shows us that this is true. 
they like to see what I call exhibits, but context before a meeting. So you might want to send the request with some of the reasons for your request ahead of time if you're dealing with someone like that. You need to really know your jury and prepare for that person, that group of people. And then you go in with a real, a real attitude of delight and service and say, I need this time. It's going to serve me and make me healthier. It's going to serve you because you're not going to have to replace me. And I know the cost of having to replace me. You're not going to have to train someone to take my spot. You're not going to lose all of my innovation. And I'm going to come back so innovative, so creative, so ready to serve after this time. And really believing that's true. I know not everyone comes back that way. I know you've talked about that. But really believing that the time off is going to be of service for them as well. And collect your evidence on that as well. If you have someone who is a very data-focused person, collect the data on what happens when people come back. And again, if the data is only so-so for you, look for other data or tell yourself a different story about it. But you really need to know your jury so you know which of these things I just said, early in the morning, later in the day, make an appointment or just walk in, collect the data or send an email ahead of time or spring it on them in the minute. You know that best because you've been working there for long enough to really understand your jury. And if you don't know them, like you said earlier, talk to people in similar positions or people that know them or et cetera, and gather as much information as you can so that what you're presenting is as as good as you can get. That's right. That's anyway. right. And also, it's a really good point, Kate, because a lot of times we perfectionists think, well, I don't have all of my evidence together. It's not perfect. There's more for me to realize. There's more for me to find out. And sometimes you actually have to limit yourself. You know, some of my clients, when they're when they're really like that, I'll say you have this week to prepare your ask and then next week you go in so that you give yourself a timeline because otherwise you we can just perseverate and continue to prepare forever and never actually make the ask. So if yeah. that's you, then you want to really give yourself a deadline. So that's work stuff. But is this does this work the same at home? It does work the same at home and it's and it's easier at home in some ways because you really know your jury, you know your partner. It's also a little bit harder because you know how to, you know, light their buttons. And so, but if you really are in a place and this is why your work is so important with this work because that resentment piece, especially at home is huge. If you are asking with resentment instead of delight, game over, game over. You lose credibility. You can't be compassionate. You're not curious. You know, you have got to get past that resentment and you've got to find a way to get past that resentment in order to make that ask in a way that's going to resonate with your, with your partner, your kids, whoever it is that you're asking. And we have a way to get through that resentment. KateDonovan.com slash resentment dash journal. We'll be in the show notes. Did you like that little commercial? <laughs> I loved it, but it's so true. I mean, yeah. that I, I was looking at that at that product in preparation for today, and it's phenomenal. And it's work that has to be done. Resentments can't just be sort of like brushed away. They're there, and they will impact the way that you ask. And it's really hard to master an ask that's coming from resentment. And I want you to think about this also from the other side when other people are making asks. Because when you're in the middle of burnout, it can be hard to feel delight about yeah. anything. So that's yeah. a really big ask just just because of the fact that your brain might not be in a state where that's really accessible. But even getting yourself back to neutral is going to get you better responses than staying in resentment. And I want you to consider the last time somebody asked you for something when they were angry. How did you respond? How did it feel? What happened in your body? Because when people ask me for things and they're angry, I shut down. I you can't maybe you can't see me if you're not watching on video, but I like my chest collapses inward and I just shut right down. It's contraction. Yeah. You know, it's the same it's the same feeling of what if I'm wrong? You know, it's this it's in that contraction is not going to help you advocate and it's not going to help you to get what you want and need from the other person if they're contracted. 
So you're right that when you are in the depths, like that day in the car when I was crying to my friend and saying, I just need help. Delight was not within my ladder of emotions, no. <laughs> right? I had to work my way up. And you might not get to delight in time for the time that you have to make the ask, but you can get closer to it than despair or doom or resentment. And you can move up yeah. just one or two rungs from there. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I think, have it holding awareness around whatever it is that you are feeling. And I think even in some circumstances, especially if it's someone that's close to you saying, I'm not trying to come from a place of resentment, but I'm feeling like that a little bit right now, breaks down a little bit of that emotion just by naming it, just by saying the thing out loud. Yeah. It gives you credibility, right? I know I'm coming across resentful. You know, I, I do feel some resentment and I'm working on it. That gives you credibility. One of the biggest credibility builders, you know, I say make promises and keep them, set expectations and meet them. A credibility multiplier is when you can't, you own it. Mm. So to say, I am feeling resentful. I am working on that. I know that my resentment does not serve our relationship or this family. In order to work on that, I need this. It's owning it and you build credibility instead of pretending you're asking with delight, but really feeling the resentment inside that comes across in your body language, your tone of voice, your facial expressions, your entire energy. It's a huge difference. Folks, I was making a list for a conference recently. I made them an extra handout. And I was talking about the six factors that create burnout in the workplace and the six factors that create burnout personally. And then what, how, what those factors look like, what the unspoken ways those factors show up, the spoken ways that those factors show up. And then I created another chart of here's some ways that the company can work on things from their end. And here's some ways that you can work on some things for your end. And let me tell you, in almost every single box, whether it's company reasons for burning out or personal reasons for burning out, the entire chart said self-advocacy in every box going all the way down for whatever the reason is. Because you can't make any changes in your workplace to your workload, to the fairness, to being recognized, to getting paid well. To You can't make a change of any of those things without self-advocacy. And if you use self-advocacy well and it doesn't make the change, that, my friends, is data yes. for the quit pile, right? Yep. It's just information yep. because you're learning how the jury is going to react, how that outer jury is going to react. The more information you have about whether or not they're willing to budge, the easier it is for you to create a clear decision about what the next safest move for you is. You're absolutely right. Right. So ask, but self-advocacy is in every. So I kept writing it and I was like, must talk to Heather. Must talk to Heather. <laughs> you can't do and like people say, well, what do I do about my workload? I can't change my workload. Well, you might be able to yeah. first look for redundancies. If you're having three meetings on the same topic, don't go to two of them. Yeah. Get rid of them. You know, look, first look for redundancies. Second, look for things that are not your job description anymore. If you've gained in job description over time, update the job description. Make this a conversation with your manager. Get rid of some of the things that don't belong to you anymore. Like there are definitely ways, no matter how busy your workload is, there are ways to take things off of it. Maybe not enough things. That will be data for you. Yeah. Right. But Self-advocacy over and over and over again. You must learn to speak out loud your needs. Yeah. And I think as you were talking about it, I know that your listeners are very empathetic, perfectionists. Yeah. You know, the people that lean towards burnout are these things. You are likely advocating every day for yes. your children, yes. your friends, yes. your colleagues, your bosses, your business. And you are just as worthy of those advocacy skills as those other things are. And sometimes, sometimes this is like a first step. If you're struggling with advocating for yourself, make it about something else. So either make it about you're actually advocating for your children when you ask for that time, or you're advocating for the women who will come after you 
who need to get these allowances, these perks, this time that you're asking for. Sometimes if you can externalize it, it makes it easier to start advocating and then you'll get more comfortable with the actual act of doing it. I love that. And that can happen. That happens mentally, not out loud, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. It's, it's, um, I had on my podcast, I had a woman named Alexandra Carter who wrote a book called ask for more. Mm -hmm. And she was talking about negotiating for a raise and she got an offer that was more than what she wanted. And she called her mentor and her mentor said, go in and ask for more. And she said, why? And she said, because you're doing it for the women who follow you. And I don't have kids, but I'm very close with my nieces and nephew. And so I often think I'm advocating for them, not myself. You know, I'm advocating so that they don't have to. And yeah. so in your head, if it makes it easier for you, there's all kinds of studies. HBR has an article that women especially are better at advocating for others than for themselves. Well, we'd love to change that. But as we do, let's pretend you're advocating for another. Yeah. And you could just know that you're the side beneficiary and that's good too. Exactly. Exactly. Heather, there are some people out there that are like, um, I need her yesterday. Where do, where should people find you? How do they get in touch? So Advocate to Win is my website. It's easy. Everything is there. My podcast is there. My speaking, my coaching. I'm starting a membership this summer where people are going to every month receive a video on a specific aspect of advocating. Um, one, probably in the fall, we're going to do one for health because I have such a strong background in working with doctors and so many people struggling with advocating for themselves or their kids or their parents when it comes to doctors and hospitals. But we'll do a different one every month. There'll be a different book recommendation and a little book report every month, a different script every month. So all of that's at the website as well, as well as my podcast, my books, et cetera. So that's advocate to win.com will be in the show notes as per usual. Heather, I gain so much when I spend time with you because I, there's so many of these skills that I still need to hone. So I'm so grateful that you took the time to come talk to us today. It feels like a celebrity showdown in here. Oh my gosh. I, I told you before we started, I loved your podcast already, but I went back and listened, like binged it. And you are providing so much value for, for your listeners, as they know. I mean, they are definitely coming in droves to hear it. So it's a, it's a fabulous, fabulous service that you're providing. One of the things that happens, you guys, when you enter into, when you're stepping closer in the direction of things that feel better to you, is that the people that you attract around you increase in quality. And that has never been more true for me. So I hope that that is something that you notice over time as well as you go through your burnout journey. What I want you to be thinking about most right now is that you can self-advocate. You can listen to this episode again. You can turn down the speed a little bit. You can pause when the questions came out so you can write them down. Of course, there will be show notes, but everybody needs their own little piece. And it might not be a bad day to start yourself an evidence journal. Fried fam, I adore you. I trust you. And I know that you're going to get better. Until next time. Ha 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 